Hello, everybody. Before we get to the next episode, I just want to announce that I have partnered with Glow FM, and this will allow me to monetize the show, uh, allow me to have extra support from the audience and uh, anyone who listens, anyone who finds value in the program, anyone who finds value in this podcast, whether you listen on the daily, weekly, monthly, if you believe that this value is worth something monetary to you, I ask you to please join us in supporting the show. I love creating for you. Uh, It means the world to me to have all these listeners tuning in week after week. But as you know, it takes an immense amount of time and energy to produce. I want the show to keep going and I want to invest in its growth. In order to do this, um, I'm asking you to be a partner with me in this journey. And uh, if you believe that this is valuable and you believe that you want to donate, uh, click the link in the show notes. The link in the show notes, glow.fm slash the optimal life with Nate Haber. Again, glow.fm slash the optimal life with Nate Haber. You can click the link in the show notes. It's super easy to do. It takes less than 30 seconds. Uh, You could use your Apple or Google Pay. You don't have to sign up. There's no account name needed. There's no long registration process. And if, again, you believe that this show provides value to you, you can contribute as much or as little as you like. Again, glow.fm slash The Optimal Life with Nate Haber. Thanks so much. The Optimal Life. Dr. Weiss, how are you today? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. How's life in Maine these days? It's finally warmed up here, and this is the time of year that makes people move to Maine. It's gorgeous. (laughs) I've never been to Maine. It sounds like a beautiful place to visit. I think you guys try to keep it a secret. But the secret (laughs) is to get out. I think the winters keep keep most people away. That's how it is here in Cleveland. We get the lake effect snow. We have some rough winters here as well. So uh, your line of work is fascinating to me. and uh, you, your latest focus, of course, is about men and their fear and their relationships with women. Um, so let's just dive into it. Why exactly uh, do men have fear in intimate relationships with women? I'm going to start a half a step further back because I think that the idea is so counterintuitive that we have to start with sort of convincing people that that's true. And I can give you a, a very easy very easily relatable everyday example that I think most people will understand. And it's true of a lot of men. You're at work and your friends come up to you and say, hey, we're going to go to the bar and have a few drinks after work. Do you want to come with us? And very often the first thought will be, oh, I wonder if my wife will mind. Even if your wife has never minded, even if your wife or partner or girlfriend is happy for you to go out with your friends, that knee-jerk reflex of making sure she's not unhappy with you is what I'm talking about. Is that true for all relationships or are you generalizing? Um, I've been doing this work for about 10 years and I could say to you that I'm still waiting to meet the first straight man. It's different for gay men. The first straight man who doesn't know what I'm talking about. So every single straight man, their first reaction is, uh uh-oh, no, 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 no. I don't mean every, I mean, every straight man has fear of their partner, their female partner on several. That's just one example. Not every man would relate to that. Uh, another very common example um, is how um, uncomfortable men get in conflict with women and how hard they work to keep the argument not emotional and rational and linear is, in my mind, an expression of men's fears of women's emotions. How long have you been working with uh, uh, couples or men? About 10 years. 
And when you're sitting there and talking to them in the privacy of your own room, they're sitting there and they're telling you, hey, are they able to articulate to you, hey, I have fear of my female partner? Or are, are you helping them extract that and get to that point? It depends entirely on whether the partner is in the room. If the partner is not in the room, the sequence is, is shockingly the same. So if when I first suggest to a man, they'll be talking about something and I'll say something like, you know, it kind of sounds like you're afraid of your partner. The first response is they bow up and they get defensive because they're insulted that I've said that they're afraid of the woman. And then within a minute, you can just see it go through their mind. You can see they're like, Oh, that would actually explain a lot. And then we start unpacking it and opening it up. What are they afraid of, doctor? What are they well, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. No, what, what's, what's, what's causing them such fear? I mean, you, you, you use this one example about going to the bar with their buddies. What, what are they afraid about? Are they afraid of a reaction? Are they afraid their woman's going to leave them? What is it? They're afraid of, yes, they're afraid of being abandoned. They're afraid of being alone. They're afraid they won't be. A, so when, when men and women divorce, men remarry a lot faster than women. So although men talk a lot about being independent and not needing women, the facts are that men remarry a lot faster, which sort of suggests to us that we need women a lot more than we like to admit we do. And so we're in a bind because we're going to be um, teased at, at best by other men or mocked or humiliated if we're dependent on a woman, and yet we are. And so it's a hidden dependency, the dependency we don't want to acknowledge to other men and to ourselves. And so we're really caught between a rock and a hard place. I got to tell you, uh, the fact that you said you've been doing this for so long and you haven't met a single man that, do that, that doesn't feel the way that you're describing, you're meeting a lot of beta males. What do you mean, bigoted? Beta. Oh, beta. beta. Sorry. Yeah, you're meeting a lot of beta type males, right? Is that is that the direction our society is going? Is masculinity I, I, not not a good thing anymore? Well, I, I oh boy, that's a big question. Um, I certainly hope not. Um, I think we have a huge problem in our society in um, being critical of masculinity as if it were a bad thing. And I think there are a group of us who are really trying to develop a non-stereotyped positive version of masculinity, which gives men more room. You know, masculinity is so narrowly defined, mostly in our culture. We define masculinity not as something you are, but as something you're not. To be masculine in our culture means not feminine. And there are those of us who are working to develop a positive idea about what masculinity is, not just the absence of feminine, but proactively masculine. So for example, a lot of positive values that people would attri attribute to masculinity, most people would say men are loyal. Most people would say men are ambitious. Most people say men are protective. Most people would say men are hardworking. Those are all the positive aspects of masculinity that don't get nearly enough attention. Hmm. How do you define healthy masculinity? Well, that's a good question. Um, I would say that in my, I, I don't know that I would be inclined to define healthy masculinity more, more inclined to talk about healthy people, 
<laughs> I think healthy people are people who can give and receive love, who are, who are not afraid to give love and to receive love. And for most men, it's the receiving love that is the less well-developed. Men are trained to be caretakers, to be protectors, to be the one who shoulders the burden, but we're less good at letting other people. So men, for example, this is why men have a hard time in retirement often, because when it comes time to just doing for themselves, they don't have a lot of practice in it. They're very dutiful. They're very honor bound. They work hard for other people. But when it comes time to what do you want to do for you? That's not something that we often have a lot of practice in. Mm. So going back to the intimacy of these relationships between a man and woman. Yeah. And you're saying that there's an inherent fear somewhere inside that the man is, doesn't want to upset his, his woman. He doesn't want to deal with the backlash. He's afraid of being abandoned. The yeah. ultimate, the ultimate uh, punishment. Um, yes. So in these types of situations, um, how are these fears kind of shaping the, uh, the day-to-day interactions, if at all? Um, I'll, I will describe to you an argument that happens frequently between men and women, which I think you will recognize. And then I'll show you how to look at it through the lens of men being afraid and how that changes how you understand. So arguments between men and women typically go this way. It begins with some kind of dissatisfaction on the part of the woman. You don't do this, or you don't do enough of that, or you do it, you, do, you know, what, what, you don't spend enough time with the kids, or you don't help out around the house, or something in that nature. What's underneath that complaint is almost always, you know, it looks like one thing on the surface, but what the woman is trying to say underneath is, I don't feel very connected to you. I'd like to feel closer to you. I'd like to feel more like we're a team. But the man hears it as a criticism. So he does what? He withdraws, he shuts down, he gets even further away. So the woman begins the argument trying to get closer. And what happens is there's more distance. So she escalates. She gets more emotional. As she gets more emotional, the man gets even more worried, more defensive, more withdrawn, and it goes on like that, escalating. And that's a really good example of how a very common pattern of conflict between men and women can be understood in a different way. But can't that pattern still be rec- seen in the reverse? Where, how so? Well, where the man is... It's not always it's not always necessarily the man withdrawing. Can't it also be on the on the reverse, the man trying to open up and the woman's closed off and maybe she withdraws because she doesn't take criticism well and then it starts going that way? It's not often, not in my experience, often the way it goes. But that would be. Yeah. I mean, couples would be a lot happier if they were less rigidly polarized in that way. Right. The couples become unhappy because they get stuck in certain roles. And that's like being half a person. It's like being half a person. Elaborate on that. Well, if you if in your relationship, you're always stuck in the role of being the stoic, uh, rational person who withdraws, then you then you don't get to be the more emotional, open, vulnerable one. Whereas if in a kind of couple where you're describing, 
where sometimes you're in this role, sometimes you get to be a fuller person. You get to be a more complete human being. You get to express more of who you are. And you claim that men are like hypersensitive to criticism. Absolutely. It's the word I hear most often in my office is criticism. So they come to you and they say, doctor, I feel like my wife just criticizes and nitpicks. Well, here, yes, absolutely. And here's the, here's the complicated part, because in fact, they do. Uh, I've been asking women an interesting question lately. I've been asking women, what did you learn from your mother about men? What did your mother teach you about men? And I can tell you what most women say to me, they learned about men. Don't trust them. Don't rely on them. Don't respect them. Mm. And Uh, don't expect a lot from them. And so men are not imagining the criticism. It is often not so subtly there. Women are often disappointed with us in terms of our ability to show up and be emotionally connected. And so they express it in terms of why didn't you take out the garbage? But they're really saying is, where are you? You know, how do I get closer to you? How do I connect to you? Every time I approach you, you run away. I don't know how to I don't have a conversation with you. I don't know how to feel close to you. How have you avoided the, the pitfalls that you see from your clients? How have you avoided that within your own marriage? Well, of course, I haven't. Avoided. Part of the reason I know about this is because I live it. So part of the reason I understand this and the introduction to the book has a, a, a sort of my own history of how I've been working through these issues from my relationship with my mother through my relationship with my wife. So that's the way most people, you know, most science comes from why, why do people get interested in things? They get interested in them because it's true for us. Right. So every mistake that I write about in the book, I've, I've made. So what are some things then? a man's listening to this going, holy cow, Dr. Weiss is, he's talking to me right now. Yeah. Uh, this is my life. I'm living this. I'm afraid of my wife's reactions. I can't go out with my buddies and have a a really good time. Cause even if she says, yes, I'm still thinking she's probably going to be upset. She doesn't trust me, whatever the heck's going on. Right. Yeah. How do you start? What is some, some advice you have for these men to start changing their mindset so that they maybe can have a little more freedom and Liberty? Uh, You know, it's a great question. And I've put, put a lot of thought into that because, you know, normally I'm used to helping men by sitting in a room talking one-on-one or in a group with them. But in a book, you can't do that. So what I did in the book was there's a chapter for men about how to start groups with other men to talk about these issues. Because I think for men, that's the starting place. I don't think it starts trying to talk with your partner. I think it starts first with talking with other men. So there's a very detailed description in the book about how to find other men who'd be interested and how to start a group. And then there's a Facebook group for guys who are doing this, who want to talk with each other about, did you try this? What do you think about that? And I'll answer any question on that Facebook group, any question people have about the book or about a group they want to start. And I've also been doing some traveling, going places, meeting with large groups of men and helping them get groups like this started, which is an absolutely it's a blast. That's a really enjoyable thing. To and do. the men are sitting around and they're opening up and they're becoming more vulnerable with each other. And next thing you know, everyone's telling a similar story. Absolutely. I'm, it's shocking to me. You know, I do therapy groups for men and I had no idea 
exactly what you said is what happens that when there are not women in the room, men are much more open with each other. Mm. I wonder why that is. I wonder why they feel like they can't be fully open. Even when they're sitting there in a comfortable setting in your office, their wife is sitting right next to them. Everyone knows we're here to try to lay it all out and get past some of these hurdles. And yet you still see a resistance is what you're saying. Because they're afraid of being criticized. They're afraid of being inadequate. They're afraid of disappointing their wife. They're afraid of being abandoned. All the fears that I talk about in the book are exactly what get in the way. And for women, it's a complete enigma. All they see is a guy who's stonewalling them. They don't understand the fears. And so they just think he's being a jerk, which is not what's going on. One of the things that you said that was really concerning to me was the fact that these women are being taught at a young age that the man, the father figure is not that not so important. And to me, that is a real problem because it's a real problem. That's a real problem that you're seeing more and more in today's society. The court system's finally kind of catching on um, just when in the divorce law, but, but it's still behind with people that grow up without fathers. But remember, or some kind of father figure, they really struggle, regardless of whether they're women or, or boys or girls. They well, really I, say, I, worked in a, I worked in the prison system for a number of years. And, and when you would meet a guy in prison who was raised with a father, it would be sort of noteworthy. Like, really? You had a dad? Mm. I mean, it's very rare in prison to meet people who had fathers in the home. But what, what you're saying is really right about it being a problem. But, but I don't know if you also have thought about it's a problem for women too. Because, I mean, it's obvious how it's a problem for men, but it's a problem for women too because they're not, they're not taught to trust a man, to rely on a man, to be close with a man. They're taught to keep a distance and that's not what they want. They wanna trust you. They wanna feel close to you. They wanna rely on you. They don't wanna be suspicious of you or critic. It's not any fun for them. It's not working on either side. Right. But there has to be cases here, doctor. I mean, I know we're talking general and you're saying that this is almost every situation that you've seen. Yeah. But there's got to be women that are driving in the car right now or, or running on the treadmill, listening to this going, this guy is out of his mind. I do respect men. My husband's not afraid of me. In fact, he always goes to the bar and I, he doesn't typically take my opinions in consideration. So what do you have to say to those people? Ask him, uh, get by the book. Uh, what a lot of what a lot of couples are doing, which I think is a great idea, is they they read a chapter, and then they they in other words they each read chapter one alone, and then they talk about chapter one. Then they each read chapter two. They talk about chapter two. You'll learn so much about your partner, your male partner, if you read this book. You will learn things, and then the book becomes sort of a stimulus for conversation, and you'll be talking about things. You know, you might have been together 10, 20, 30 years. And I promise you, there are things about your partner you have no idea about. This is uh, when you say the book, you've written several. You're talking about the latest Hidden in Plain Sight. Yes. A Men's Fears of Women Shape Their Intimate Relationships. Yeah. And it's on Amazon. And we'll make sure we link that in the show notes. Great. Um, so what, what's the problem here? What's the it sounds to me like there's a major disconnect in terms of just communications. Right. Because. The woman thinks one thing, the man thinks another. How are you able to help these couples bridge the gap? When, when you suggest to couples that this is going on in the relationship, it starts opening things up. When women understand 
that what's going on is that that their partner is not being a jerk, but that he's scared, they soften and become more compassionate rather than critical. And so it really shifts everything and creates um, all kinds of new opportunities, even in couples who've been together for a really long time. If a woman knows that her husband is quote unquote, living in fear of the retaliation, what does that do to that woman? I know there's different personality types, so it's different in each case, but generally again, how does that make that woman handle that, that relationship? I think it makes her more empathic because she's been thinking that he's just being withholding and engaging in a power play. And when she understands his fears, I think she becomes more sympathetic and more mm. open to hearing what's really going on. So you actually think that when a woman knows really the cause here. Yes. But what's causing all this? They go, oh, I never looked at it this way. I've seen it hundreds of times. I think actually I have a quote right here, which I would like. Yes, here we go. This is a quote from a woman after reading the book. I understand that my husband has not been ignoring, dismissing, or hurting me out of a lack of respect, as I, as I suspected, but that he's scared, scared to hurt me, scared to mess up with me, scared to not be enough. I had honestly never imagined that he was scared and that I was so profoundly important to him that he was constantly terrified I would leave him. And that is what I hear from women again and again and again. But it has to go the other side, doctor. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but there has to be instances where that woman is feeling that exact same way. And the man goes, oh, I didn't really. Let me ask you this. If a woman is, is if the roles are reversed and then the man finds out that the woman's been withdrawn and she's afraid and she it, it does, does his reaction the same thing, do you think? Is he empathetic or does he just even feel like he has more power now? I, I think probably what happens is that his fears get more activated because when women withdraw, men get worried that we're in the doghouse, that we're in trouble. And so, so you're saying that that no matter what, the man is the one who the man is the one who ultimately withdraw the man the woman's withdrawal is causing the man to withdraw even more is that what i'm hearing well, the, the woman being upset in any way most often causes men to withdraw so as women most of the things that women do to get closer to men cause men to back further away and that's why the conflict just keeps circling around and around and around what's a healthy doing... relationship look like i'm sure you've talked to couples who seem to not always are sitting there in, in your office trying to deal with something. What's Absolutely. a healthy relationship look like to you? Well, in a healthy relationship in that situation, as the woman pursues, it would be without criticism. And it would be with a sensitivity to the fears her partner might have. And that the man then talks about, you know, I'm trying to hear what you're having to say, but you're moving a little fast for me. I'm getting a little intimidated. Could you slow it down, please? You know, as you said, communication as they're talking with each other about what's going on. You know, men and women are, are incredibly different, and but we're attracted to each other, at least for heterosexual people. And so in order to be in a heterosexual relationship, you have to learn about differences because you're partnered with somebody who's very different from you. Right. And you come from such different upbringings and different Absolutely. economic, socioeconomic, different yeah. parents. They, they 
raised you differently. So, and then all of a sudden you got these two worlds colliding and then you maybe want to try to start a family. So, and then your parenting skills, you look at things differently. I mean, there's so many layers and dynamics as you continue to go along in life. Absolutely. And society has taught men one set of things about how they're supposed to be and have taught women a very different set of things about how they're supposed to be. What, what are some of those, if you don't mind? Well, I'll talk about it for men because that's the part I'm most interested in. There's a delightful book called um, When Boys Become Boys, and she spent several years in a kindergarten class. And she tells the story about at the end of the year, the teacher says to all the kids in the class, okay, everybody gets to stand up and sing, what was your favorite song we learned this year? And one little boy stands up, these are five and six-year-old boys, and he starts to sing a lullaby. And the boys in the front row start making faces and make fun of him. So he's just, as soon as he starts the song, he sees that he's being mocked for picking a girl's song. And so he says, oh, I was just kidding. That's not my favorite song. And he starts to sing the Marine Corps anthem. Mm. Not because it's the song he likes, but it's because the song he expects will get the approval. So I don't give a damn what song he likes. I, you know, I'd like him to grow up in a world where he can pick the lullaby or the Marine Corps anthem or any damn song he likes. The problem is him growing up in the world where he has to worry about what the world will approve of or not approve of, what they will sanction as masculine and what they will criticize him for as not manly. And then what have they, what have they taught girls on the flip side of that? Girls are taught to be accommodating, to be not threatening, to not speak up, to defer. Passive, passive, passive. Yeah. yeah. And so, to take their power indirectly. It's interesting because you're saying girls have been taught that, so it's okay. Yet, no, I'm not saying it's okay. Quite the well, contrary. Uh, the way society has portrayed it to them. Uh, oh, for women to be that way. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's no, you know, it's not any more helpful for girls than what I described as for boys. It's it's debilitating for both. Yeah, yeah, but these men then grow up, and you're saying that they're the ones that are almost becoming passive and deferring because where we started our conversation. That's right. They're not, to... they're not at work, but they are at home. So they're you know, living heard two the... different lives is what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you've heard the expression happy wife, happy life, right? Where'd that Before. come from? Right. So why is, why is that a saying? Because a lot of men live that way. A lot of men live. I had a guy tell me once, he was so sensitive to whether or not his wife was upset with him that he swore that he could tell if she was upset with him when he walked through the front door before he ever saw her, he could feel it in the air. He was so worried about whether or not she was upset with him that he felt like he could actually feel it before he even saw her. Do you have any kids? I do. Grown kids. Do you have a daughter? I do. I have a son and a daughter. So how did you raise, I assume that this has been at the forefront of your your yeah. life, like you said, when it came to your childhood, your upbringing, your wife, did you raise your daughter and son differently in any ways? Did you, or did you try to raise them the same? And if so, what are some of those things that you were really mindful of to make sure that, hey, I want to make I, sure that my daughter, using your example, I want to make I sure my daughter question. grows up and respects and understands yeah. what a man is and where he's coming from. I have done dozens of these interviews and nobody's ever asked that question. I love that question. Thank you. So with my daughter, I'll tell you for both my daughter and my son, my daughter, a couple of things. One is I taught her how to punch. I said, don't, don't punch like a girl. 
none, none of this stuff. I taught her how to punch. I said, if you're ever in a situation where you feel threatened, I want you to feel like you can protect yourself. The other thing I taught her is don't settle for a boyfriend or a partner who doesn't adore you as much as I do. Don't, don't make a half-assed choice. Don't pick a partner who doesn't think that you are just the best thing that ever happened to him in his life. And my son, I think I taught through example, I was a very involved dad. I was in that first group of men. I remember the day that I took him into a McDonald's to change his diaper and there was a changing station in the men's room at McDonald's. That was a big deal because prior to that, men didn't change diapers. Men didn't take care of kids. And so he was in a group of kids who grew up with a very involved, I was in a group with other men, fathers who met together once a month and talked about being dads. And so when I see him now and they have kids, so if when I see them in a group with their friends and a baby starts to cry, it's the men who jump up to take care of the babies. The moms keep chatting and drinking their wine and the dads are the first ones to get up. And I think, wow, the world, really is changing. <laughs> that, that has to be pretty eye-opening for you. They're great dads, you know, and, the, and it means everything to them. They really want to be a dad. It's very important to them. When, when I was a dad, um, there used to be a joke, what do you call a dad in the park? This is like 35 years ago. What do you call a dad in a park on a Saturday with his kids? What? Divorced. Because mm. you didn't see dads. It was not a regular thing for dads to be taking care of children that's really a pretty recent. And so a lot of this is going to change if dads continue to be more involved. So what do it. you tell your son when he calls you or you see him in his interactions? Have you coached your son on, on how to potentially keep really optimal communication lines open with his with his wife? Uh, no, because adult children are not typically interested in coaching from their parents. In my experience, they really want to make their own way. Um, so uh, it's not that I don't have things to offer, but that's not typically how it goes between adult children and their parents. They're, they're very determined to do things their own way. But you don't give them advice when it comes to this stuff? Not if I want to get along with them. I find it doesn't go well when, when parents trying to give adult children advice. You, you know, if I have advice to offer, I ask them if they want to hear it. All right. It's like Jerry Rice's son. He doesn't want to learn from his dad how to catch up. Exactly. He wants somebody exactly. else to show him. Yeah. Yeah. Even though his dad obviously has a lot to teach him about football. Right. And apparently you have a lot to teach on this topic. Uh, how do you feel like this has impacted you um, in, in the recent years with you and your own situation, your own relationship with you and your wife? Has your relationship be, been able to blossom uh, because of your work or do you feel Absolutely. like it's caused problems? Absolutely. Um, because being scared, being less scared frees you up to be more intimate, to be closer with other people. If you if you notice in your body, if you think about something scary, you, you tighten all your muscles. Mm. And so you don't relax and be open, you tighten and close up. And so when you learn how to start talking about your fears, then it makes a whole other kind of closeness possible. Uh, fascinating stuff. Where can people, uh, if they want to learn more about your work, find you online? They can go to avramweissphd.com, which is A-V-R-U-M-W-E-I-S-S-P-H-D.com. You will find links to my books. You'll find links to my articles. You can also go to psychologytoday.com. If, if you go to that website, you can sign up for my mailing list. 
and I will send you a free ebook for signing up and you will get a copy of every article. And uh, my articles on psychology today have uh, last count been read one and a half million times. Fantastic stuff. And we'll make sure we link you up in the show notes. Great. For anyone that wants to uh, learn more, click a link in the notes and you'll be able to connect with uh, Dr. Weiss and see more of his work. Hey, uh, fascinating stuff. Continued success to you. Thank you. My, my last question for you is, have you seen a um, significant increase in this type of fear-based behavior since the pandemic? That's interesting. I haven't really thought about that. Um, I, I would guess yes, because I'm certainly seeing a lot more distress in couples. Because I remember when I came home, when I stopped working in an office and I started working at home, I remember the first day I said to my wife, who my wife was already working at home. And I said, so what time do you want to break for work today? And she looked at me like, what makes you think I'm having lunch with you? I've been having lunch on my own for years. What makes you think? So, so every couple has had to renegotiate, you know, all of us worked out the balance of when we're together and when we're not. And then now we're together all, not now, but for a long time. We were together maybe more than we wanted to. And so I would say probably yes, in that people have not had the space from each other that they are used to and that was helpful. Oh, interesting. Fascinating stuff, doctor. Thank you very much for shedding insight into this topic today. My pleasure. Thanks for talking. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Optimal Life Podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you're listening. And you could also leave a review. Apple Podcasts, of course, you could leave reviews and ratings. Spotify, you could leave reviews and ratings. And several and many other podcast apps, wherever you may be listening, please tell a friend, tell a family member, let them know about the podcast, and we will see you next time.